Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have that plan available on our website, grove.church. And as usual, uh, if you've got questions, we want to answer them. So you can send us those questions in three ways. One is an email. You can email us at info at grove.church, info at grove.church. Uh, make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question, or you can direct direct message us on social media, uh, the Facebook platform or the Instagram platform. Uh, our Facebook, we are the Grove Church in Washington State. You can DM us there, or our Instagram handle is the Grove CH, uh, and you can also direct messages there. As we get those questions, we try to take time every week as at the end of a podcasting, it's the question. So we'd love for you to send those in so we can have some more fun answering them. All right. This week, we, this reminds me of when we were doing like the minor prophet extravaganza, where we've got a lot <laughs> of books to cover today. So, but they're all really, they're all really short. They're, they're quick hits. Yep. So this will be really fun. And then I, and then we're in uh, next week, Isaiah. Yes. And that's it. That's the whole rest of the year, Isaiah. Just Isaiah. Just Isaiah. I haven't looked that far ahead. Yeah. I was curious. Well, because I just had to put in the... Uh, the reading plan for the rest of the month onto the uh, website. And so I was going through, I was like, oh, there's like some Psalms sprinkled in there, but it's pretty much just like Isaiah all the way. That's where we're ending it this year. So it'll be good. That's kind of a fun way to end it. Yeah. No, as, I, I, as I think about Isaiah, I mean, that was really the first book that I deep dove into years ago. So it's kind of a fun way to end it. So yeah, no, that'll be, be fun. A, Stay tuned for next week, but this week's going to be more fun. It's true. And also listeners, we do have to figure out what our next Bible reading plan is. So me Stay and, tuned. me and Aaron will land on that here in the next couple of weeks and we'll announce it. So that way you can get a head start. Begin January 1st and then boom, plow all the way. This will also be our first, I mean, I guess, you know, don't want to jinx it, but this will be our first year not missing a week. Now you just ruined it. Yeah. It'll be, we'll, we'll have. No, we've been, we've had more time, been more diligent to record ahead when we're gone or missing it a, a week. Yeah. The worst was that COVID year, 2020, where I think we, <laughs> we went like three weeks at a time, a few times, just cause it was like. Yeah. And then there's some being, it was recorded via Zoom, taking yeah. the audio from, yeah, just oh, crazy. Yeah, that was, anyway, but sorry. that was the past. This is the present. That's true. We are going to talk about first the letters of John. So this is first, second, and third John. Uh, little, they're pretty interesting. I, I like them a lot because, you know, I think a lot of times when we talk about the New Testament, it's so Paul-centric, um, which is, you it's know, true. deservedly so, I suppose, because he Almost wrote two-thirds, so, right? Yeah, he wrote so much of it. But there's a bunch of other stuff in there that's really interesting. So we are uh, talking about the letters of John first. There's a little bit of question as to whether the John who wrote these letters is the same as John, the son of Zebedee, so the disciple, um, or is it another John? I tend to just not worry about – no, I shouldn't say not worry about that. I tend to just view that it's John, the disciple, yeah. the same John who wrote the gospel and then the same John who wrote Revelation. Yeah. Um, there's a few things that essentially they just talk about like the Greek being slightly different, but I think also a lot of that stuff can just kind of be explained by – Time, like time goes on, that you change the way you write a little bit. We talked about this in Revelation last. So we don't need to belabor the point, but I see no reason to really uh, get after that, especially because we have earliest tradition. There's no hint that it's another mm -hmm. John, um, and then this is actually it's kind of interesting on this too. As far as the dating goes, we can't really nail down an exact time of when this was. It's just kind of late in the first century, um, but this is some of the earliest. These are some of the earliest books of the Bible that we have out. Sorry, extra biblical sources on. So we have writings from Polycarp, Polycarp and uh, Papias, who are both church fathers, uh, from the first half of the second century, and they're both quoting First John. So we know that it was. This isn't a. This isn't the case of like, is this one of the Gnostic writings? Is this yeah. written a few centuries afterwards? Like, nope. This is <laughs> this is already being quoted less than like 40 years after John dies. So this is clearly a very early work. Um, the letters are different, but they were probably all set sent in one batch. And so 1 John seems to be a circular letter that was meant to be passed to multiple churches. 2 John is a letter to a specific church, uh, probably the first church that was supposed to send 1 John around. And then 3 John is a letter to a specific pastor and probably the pastor of that church. So it kind of reminds me of I forgot which epistle gets delivered with Philemon, but Paul writes the epistle to the church, and then he also writes a personal letter to Philemon, and then he sends Onesimus with both letters. Um, so this is probably the same thing that happened, where John writes one letter, which is 1 John, and this is meant to be, hey, read this letter, and then send it around to all of the churches that that you're basically all of your sister churches. This is a, a word for mm -hmm. them. 2 John is, hey, this, this letter is just for you, like just for the church, read it, but you don't have to send it around. And then 3 John is just for the pastor, Gaius is his name. So we'll, we'll get to him here in a second. Not in a second. Get to him here in a little bit. 
Uh, and so, but first we're going to talk about the first letter of John. So first John, and he begins by reminding us that he was there for Jesus, which is still, I was going to say, it's still a pretty crazy thing to think about that. Like when you're, sometimes we just take the Bible for granted so much. Um, but when sometimes we, try like all the time. That's true. All the time we take the Bible for granted. But yeah, when we're reading the gospels, when we're reading uh, particularly the epistles of John and Peter, we're reading the works of eyewitnesses, like people mm-hmm. who met Jesus, who n- not only met Jesus, who knew Jesus in a way yeah. that very few other people on earth knew him. Uh, they're his close friends. And so we should never take for granted when we when we hear what they have to say about Jesus, because that's as, that's as close as, you, as we're going to get on this side of eternity. So really cool. Uh, so First John verses 1 through 4, this is how he introduces it. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have learned, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Uh, so, really love, really love that there. I also love how it kind of just, it, it thematically connects back to his gospel, where remember he talks about, in the beginning was the word, was to say, that which was from the beginning. So, he's using the same sort of language there. And then right after that, he he first John really has this focus in the first half specific, specifically on the idea of walking in light and walking in darkness. And so John talks about those who walk in light do this and those who walk in darkness do this, which also harkens back to the gospel. Because again, he, at the very beginning of the gospel of John, what's he talking about? He's talking about the light that came and was made manifest and all those different things. So really cool. Uh, he brings up the idea of avoiding the hypocrisy of saying that we walk in the light, but at the same time walk in darkness. And so this is one of the big issues that John is dealing with. And we can kind of assume that this has been an issue in the church larger at, at this point, because John is feeling the need to write, again, not just one specific church, but he's feeling the need to write many churches about this issue. Um, and so he talks about, at the same time, we can obviously never claim to be without sin, but we should confess our sins to God and he is faithful to forgive us. And so he has this idea where don't say that we walk in the light, and then go walk in darkness. But at the same time, don't say, oh yeah, we walk in the light. We're sinless. We're perfect. He's like, no, because that's a lie. That's a yeah. lie too. He says, that's not what you're supposed to say. But he, and then he talks about the uh, the famous verses of, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So really cool. Um, and that is kind of the Christian tension, right? It's this idea of uh, we're redeemed, we're, we're justified before the Lord. Um, but we're not perfect. And so God's call to us isn't sinless perfection. His call to us is to strive um, to put away sin. And when we fail, uh, to go to God with those things and not try and hide it. So John continues this theme for much of chapter two. The idea is that we strive to put away sin, but we ask for forgiveness. Uh, John uses the theme of light and darkness, demonstrating that if we hate people, we are walking in darkness. And that's another big theme of First John. Probably the most famous theme from First John is basically, hey, love people. Cut it out. It's like, be be nice. So that, Sounds like what I have to tell my kids all the time. Hey, you're supposed to be love kind. each other. Be kind to each other. <laughs> uh, later in chapter two, John talks about being weary of the world and paying attention to the antichrists that have arisen in their time. And so he's kind of – which is a really good point for us um, – the idea of being weary of the world, I kind of connected back to, and we and we talked about one of the big revelations for me, and we'll talk about this. I think we're we're talking about doing a segment towards the end of the year of like what are the big things that we learned this year. Um, but for me, one of the one of the epiphanies I had was that so spoilers. many spoilers, I know, <laughs> uh, but so many of the historical books in the Old Testament are built around the theme of Israel becoming more and more like the nations around them, uh, and I kind of think that's what. It's phrasing it differently, but I think that's what John is getting at here. We're being weary of the world is we're meant to be set apart in the sense of like we're Christians. We should yeah. have – there should be something different about it. So it doesn't mean we have no contact obviously with the world, but what it means is that we don't become like the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what John is getting at here. Um, and I also think it's just interesting because he, he points forward to like, you know, the Antichrist, right? But he also talks about how like there's Antichrists everywhere, like people who are – and it's not even just people. It can be ideas. It can be all these different things. But um, the idea of going against the gospel, going against uh, the word of Christ, and then being conscience, conscious of where those things are and figuring out how do we fight them, um, how do we – 
and, and fight it with the mm-hmm. truth, the truth of God, the truth of the gospel. So really great things to think about there. The second major section of the letter deals with how we should live with each other as we walk in the light. And so that's kind of like the practical application. How does it mean we treat each other? Uh, the beginning of chapter three is a reminder that we are children of God with the latter half, again, being a, remind, a reminder to love each other. Like you kind of get the feeling that like there's some conflict going on that John is trying to like, hey, and at this point, John is probably old. Uh, yeah. So I, I kind of imagine like, sorry, sorry, dad, we'll, we'll get back or grandpa, we'll get back to it. Uh, and so it's it's a reminder to, again, love each other. And then why should we love? I, I think this is a great, I mean, this is the most famous passage in First John for sure. But this is First John 4, 7 through 12, not 8. <laughs> uh, but beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. That's always a fun word to say. Uh, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Which I always think is a shame because so the, there's a famous if, if you didn't get the joke earlier, listener, there's a famous kid song where it's like it's first John four, seven and eight, and you sing it and then it ends with, you know, that's the that's the scripture. Oh, that went over my head. Oh really? <laughs> oh. It's like beloved, let us love I've never one heard another. It. Oh really? I thought Listen, I don't some of our listeners have called me out for not knowing some of these songs. I am just apparently I was a heathen as a child. Well, we also so. like the the listeners should be aware that we went to uh we went to children's church in vastly different areas. And so because I'm a I'm a Seattle boy. Areas and, and eras. Era eras true. Yeah. So you're you're like a decade older and then you went to church on the East Coast when you grew up and I was on the West Coast. So Yeah, and I didn't really pay attention to kids' church because I was serving a kids' church. So boom. I did the puppet ministry. When I was. Puppet. Dude, I got to I, I got to run sound. Oh. Only during the videos, though, which I now realize as an adult, oh, that's just the children's pastor's way of saying like, oh, yeah, sure, go sit by the soundboard if you want to. But as a kid, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. This is awesome. And that's when we realized you were a nerd. It's Anyways. like it's like my basketball coach who told me that I was so good at defense that I should not um, shoot the ball. I sh- ever. Yeah, I should not. He's like, just <laughs> when you get the ball, just pass it and just go back to defense because you're so good at it. I was like, thanks, coach. And then 16 year old me like 10 years later was like, wait, wait a second. Sorry, that's just a complete tangent here. Um, Your coach was brilliant. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, I did. Yeah, I'm I gonna use that one. I didn't realize what happened for years. Sorry, getting back to this passage though, I always think it's a shame that that song ends at First John four seven and eight because yes, it is a great point to let us love one another for love is uh, from God. Anyone who, lo- who loves has been born of God and knows God. But why do we love? It's answered in the next verse, right? In in verse nine, mm-hmm. in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that, so that we we might live through Him. I also love that nine through twelve is kind of a amalgamation of John three sixteen, and so you you can the same phrases are used, they're just kind of in different places. So again, come on, this is the same guy. Don't even John <laughs> the Elder. What a joke. Um, well, and you were I mean you were mentioning earlier at the beginning, and I didn't jump in and say anything, but it's it's not just even like your writing changes as you get older, like your understanding of things changes. So you communicate yep. and explain things differently. You see the depth. And I think that's one of the things that John, that we that we sometimes miss is that John had very close proximity to Jesus, but he also had very close understanding of, of the depth of Christ's love. I mean, when when he calls himself the beloved disciple, right? There's, there's a, a, I don't even think there's a shade of arrogance there. I just think there's a shade of like, I, I'm, I understand, like I, I'm close to Christ. I'm walking, I'm understanding the depths and profoundness of his love. Um, and so you get to see that drawn out more specifically at the end of his life, you see him draw out in these letters, the depth and the profundity of God's love. And and he explains it in a, in a, in a more, com- not compelling, but more uh, vibrant way, I guess, if you can say it that way. Yep. And when you also, I think you see in this book, John is exploring a theme that clearly also Jesus takes exception with, because remember in, in Revelation, what's the church of Ephesus rebuked for? That they don't have love. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that it's not just the church of Ephesus, right? That there's many churches where they're holding fast to doctrine, they're expelling false teachers, like they're doing all these things right, but they've lost they've lost love. And I think John here is is seeing that as well, and he's trying to remind the church of that. So really, really powerful just reminders for us today as well. Uh, and then finally, as John winds down his first lo- letter, 
he hits again on the theme of overcoming the world through Christ. So essentially, and this is a, a message that's important for all Christians of all time, uh, but it hits a little bit differently with this audience where they're being actively oppressed for their faith. And so holding fast to uh, to faith in, in Christ is important. So second John, really quick, second and third John are some of the shortest books of the Bible. <laughs> so we're actually just going to read, um, I'm not going to read like the intros and the outros, but we're just going to read the meat of both letters because I think it's going to be really easy and interesting to talk about. So remember, this one is to a church specifically that John refers to as the elect lady and her children. So that would be the church and then the members of the church. Uh, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we're commanded by the Father. And I, now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning that we love one another. Oh, wow. It's almost like John is, that before. Yeah, John is really, hmm, he's got a theme here. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just if you have heard it from the beginning so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such as such a one deceiver is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So again, it's that twofold thing, right? The Absolutely, you have to fight for the truth. <laughs> He's saying, don't let people in who are actively speaking against the gospel. At this point, we get the idea that the Gnostics are really beginning to take hold because what's the only heresy that's mentioned by name is that Christ, when Christ comes back, it will not be physically, it will just be spiritually. So you can kind of see there the beginnings of the Gnostic idea. Um, and again, the Gnostics, what they did was they really played up the idea that Jesus was divine, that Jesus was spirit, um, but not that he was actually man. So we today in, in, in Orthodox Christianity, and what I mean by that is basically like true Christianity, we say that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Uh, the Gnostics would say that Jesus was fully God, not fully man. And then on the other side, the Arians would say that Jesus was fully man, not fully God. So kind of interesting. And that's the guy who Santa punched was Arius at uh, the, Council of, the Council of Nicaea. Finally, 3 John is a letter to a man named Gaius, who we just kind of, we would say is the, the pastor of this church. And so this letter here says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all of your efforts to these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to, you, to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So, hey, good job, Gaius. I have written something to the church, but Di oh, I should have looked up how to pronounce this. Oh man, Diotrephes, who put himself first, <laughs> does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us and not content that he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to add, who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received good testimony from everyone and the truth itself. We also add our testimony so that you may know our testimony is true. So basically, it's kind of, it's a really interesting letter. It's just basically John saying, hey, good job. Um, this guy, he's really difficult. So here's kind of some ways to handle it. Don't worry. I'll also uh, handle it when I get there as well. See you later. It's kind of, it's kind of the letter, but it, 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 it reminds me of like a, uh, almost like a letter or like a, um, I guess in today's world, it would be like a text or something that a phone or a phone call that a pastor would get where it's like, Hey, really good job on this. I heard this guy is being really difficult in your church. That's a bummer. You know, here's, here's what's helpful for me. Yeah. Cause if there's one thing that is universal for all pastors of all time, it's difficult people in the church. What? So there, no. So there you go. But uh, none of our listeners are difficult. Oh, no. You're all beloved listeners. You're, you're the best. <laughs> uh, and so that wraps it up for the letters of John. And so before Aaron's going to get into Jude, we do want to take a moment to say, hey, you know, if you could leave us a five-star review, that would be awesome. It'd be super helpful. As we are now in the Christmas season, just a reminder that if you want to, you know, give me and Aaron the best Christmas <laughs> gift ever, then you could leave us a five-star review on Apple. We want to get to 100 before the end of the year. If we don't get to it, I mean, nothing happens, but, you know, it'd be swell. So, and if you leave a written review, we'll read it on the air, just like... KLC7555. 
Just kidding. Just dramatic effect. I want to pause for dramatic effect. No, he. Uh, I just want to give a shout out. I I don't know if it's a he or her, but they. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they titled it this way: "Learn so much and laugh so much," which I th- which I appreciate to be honest with you, because uh, I hope it's entertaining and I hope it's fun to listen to as we banter back and forth. Um, he said this at Evan and Aaron. Thank you for the great podcast. You're welcome. You're welcome very much. <gasps> thank you. Uh, he says they say I learned so much about the Bible, the historical context. Tip this out to you. Uh, perspective of the time and the current application as a Christ follower. How you guys pack all that in every podcast without being heavy or preachy and making me laugh out loud is incredible. Your deep love for the Bible and close friendship is obvious on every podcast. We don't have a close friendship. I can't stand you, bro. No, he's the worst. <laughs> Uh, he says, usually I listen to five to 10 episodes of a podcast and move on to something new. I've listened to well over 40 episodes of Let's Read the Bible and look for, looking forward to more. Uh, so I appreciate that. Thank you for the podcast. Thank you for, for the review, the rating. Um, I just appreciate that it helps us grow the community um, of those who are engaging with us to read the Bible together. So uh, and I truly, look forward to a new year. You truly are a beloved listener. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, so as Evan said, we're, part of the this week's reading is through the book of Jude, um, and I'm going to be totally transparent. We're just going to read the whole book, uh, and so you're going to read it twice this week because I don't think you should check the box saying you read it uh, until you read it. But uh, just a few things about the book of Jude itself written. Uh, the, the person Jude is uh, the brother of both James and Jesus. James, who is the one who wrote the book of James, we talked about already. Um, the one thing I was trying to figure out, um, and I, I just let you in beyond the veil, I was doing it while Evan was talking in some capacities because I forgot to do it when I prepped the notes, but uh, I was just trying to figure out when did Jude uh, convert to Christianity because we know James didn't convert till after Jesus's resurrection, uh, where James was confronted with the actual truth that Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, there's not real clarity on when Jude converted. Um, I, my gut says it would probably be after he was resurrected as well, because there was some animosity and some uh, rejection of uh, of Jesus saying he was a son of God. I t- yeah, I tend to view all of the brothers of of Christ understanding who he is at around the same time. And, yeah. and you know, the resurrection. It's a big deal. Yeah, that was, that was, oh, he did. That would also convince me. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, it did convince me, right? No. Um, so so it was written by Jane, or Jesus' brother as well, half-brother as well, uh, who was the full brother of James. Um, it's also close to the writing of Second Peter. Uh, I know we've already done a podcast episode on set. Have we? For a second. Yeah. Yeah, that was last week. Um, so we've already done it, but it's it's almost written as if it's a companion to to Peter's second epistle. Uh, you'll see he'll draw on that a little bit. Some of the themes overlap. Uh, he doesn't write nearly as uh, long as second or Peter does, um, but it's written and almost feels like a companion. Um, and the, the, I love the theme of this because uh, it, it really is something I think the church should ra- rally around today. Uh, but it's this idea like Jude is writing to challenge and 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 call the church to contend for the one true faith um, that all the saints were delivered through the hope and, and, and the purpose of Christ's death and resurrection. Um, and he's challenging the, the people of faith must persevere to the end uh, by resisting false teachers and following the actual truth. And so he's, he's making almost an apologetic uh, challenge to uh, the church uh, at the time to rise up and contend, like don't sit back and, uh, and be idle while these false teachers come in and, and preach a false gospel. Uh, and so he's writing, uh, with that theme in mind, um, he he warns against following those who have gained entry to the church and are perverting the gospel, which is also these false teachers. Um, the church is called to defend against this. That's the purpose of writing. Um, the interesting thing here is that the false teachers were morally unrestrained. That's so they come in, they infiltrate the church with a similar gospel, and they're because they're morally unrestrained, uh, they're starting to lead. A followers of Christ away from the true gospel, the truth, and the hope of Christ, um, as Jesus modeled and taught, uh, and and because of their unrestraint morally, Judas is calling them to to reject that view and that th- those habits and behaviors of life of life, and so. Um, You'll find that that's the tension he creates here in a minute. Um, I, I do think this was interesting. I don't know if I've ever known this. Um, Jude takes a lot, and I knew he interpreted the Old Testament, but um, he draws on apo- apocalyptic literature, not apocalyptic. Apocryphal. Apocryphal literature, yeah. sorry. Um, and this is specifically for one Enoch and the Testament of Moses. Um, there's some things that he pulls out of those extra biblical books um, from Jewish history and and helps interpret the them through the gospel and through Christ's life. Which is hard because like as today he'll be like, yeah, guys, like remember when like Michael and Satan were fighting over the body of Moses and like, all, all, what? <laughs> all the first century like Christians like, oh yeah, totally. And we're just like, 
Huh? <laughs> yeah. I have no memory of this. Well, and that's, and I think it's, it's again, I, like I've read Jude before, so I understood it, but it's, I, I forgot that there is that the references were there. Right. So, uh, so you'll see some of those nuances and some of those things that are pulled out from the book of Jude here in a minute. Well, I think it's also a reminder too, with like, and I, cause I treat the, uh, I think sometimes we treat the Apocrypha and the Gnostic gospels oh, it's like, like dirty. It's like, yeah, intense. like they're the same things where like, so like the Gnostic gospels are straight up false gospels. Yeah. They're garbage. Like, so you can read them if you want, but like you, if, and, it, and if you read them, you'll see that like, oh, these have nothing to do with the actual gospels. Um, the Apocrypha are not bad books. They're just like, we wouldn't consider them scripture. So yeah. we would say they're not divinely inspired word of God. Um, but that doesn't mean they're he- they're not yeah. helpful to read. And so that's what Jude's doing is he's taking sections of them and showing yeah. how they can apply to us today. Yeah. It's the extra biblical account kind of vibe. It's not the canon of scripture. Yeah, so. I'd almost treat it like the writings of the early church fathers where we wouldn't, yeah, call, absolutely. We, we wouldn't call that uh, scripture either, but yeah. it's good to know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so so that's that's some of the context. So he's he's uh, that's why I go back to like, it's a companion type letter to second Peter. Um, not first, but second, because of the similarity and because they were, I mean, they're, they walked this earth. So we were talking, I mean, you were talking about eyewitness accounts uh, of John and Peter, but we also have that with James and Jude, True, um, but their accounts are, are in response to the truth and how the church should then operate. And, and it's not so much, I saw Jesus do this as much like Jesus did this. He, it's true and go and live how you're supposed to live. Um, so a quick outline of the book, you can, you can break it down in four different sections. You have a greeting as per normal for most letters. Um, you'll find this appeal where he challenges the church to contend for the faith. Um, you'll, the third section, you'll find immoral character and consequent judgment of the false teachers. Um, and I've taken this outline from the ESV study Bible, uh, the, the immoral character and consequent you'll see broken down in three different sections as well. Uh, judgment reserved for the false teacher. He, this is where he uses the analogy of Egypt, uh, rebellious angels, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, he talks about the nature of false teachers in this section as well, uh, where they're blasphemers, they're motivated by greed, they exemplify depravity and impunity. Uh, and then finally, the the third portion of this section is the, the judgment on the false teachers is revisited. Uh, and Jude will describe the judgment and then give further reasons for judgment. And then finally, he comes to the concluding exhortations, uh, which I always like these parts of letters because it's they're almost like quick hits or quick thoughts of like, as I leave you, based upon everything I just say, here's some things to be aware of. Um, and he, you have four different idea or four different uh, topics here that he hits in the exhortations, apostolic warnings, antidote for false teachers, uh, showing mercy, and then finally the doxology. Uh, and so the, it's it's a 30-verse book, uh, and so it is a very short read, very quick read. Uh, and so I'm just going to take a few moments and read through it today. So, uh, But I just want to give you the outline. I just love I love Jude's challenge to the church to, to rise up, to contend for the faith, to uh, contend against false teachers and remind everybody what it is about um, and, and how we are, are called to follow Christ. So this is what it says, verse 1. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and, the brother, and a brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God and the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. There's your greeting. Then he says this, Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in in by stealth. He's referring to the false teachers there. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. And I I didn't say this up top, and I'm going to say it now. I think this book, that verse, this 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 book is very important for us today as Christians, as followers of Christ. There is a compromised version of the gospel that we have to be reminded of, that we have to anchor back to Jesus first. And it's not just salvation. And this has been, I mean, you kind of alluded to some of the things that you've you, you've been enlightened to this year through reading the Bible. My biggest one that I've been struggling with and challenged and wrestling with the last probably month has been this this tension where. Uh, it's really easy to accept Christ as Savior, but rarely do we want to cross the line to understand He's also Lord. It's not salvation and then you're good. It's salvation and lordship. Right. And, and as followers of Christ, I think there's a tension that we have to understand that it's submission to the lordship of Jesus because He is who He says He is. He did what He said He was going to do, and no one else in all the history of humanity has done that. Well, um, and even like we the 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 word for when he says Jude a servant of Jesus and brother of James the word there is slave yes and, and we don't I think we don't translate it that way because it just makes us kind of well it's a dirty word in American yeah. culture um, but what he's getting at there is essentially he is wholeheartedly 
under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This isn't because you're like, I guess, and the, the point I'm trying to make here is like a servant can leave. Yeah. Uh, a slave cannot. And that's kind yeah. of like, and that's kind of Jude's idea is he's, he's trying to paint the picture of his life is mastered by Christ. His, 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 Jesus Christ is his master. Yep. Um, and again, so, some of that language is, it's unfortunately tainted with obviously the history of everything that's happened just around the world. Um, but I, I do think it's a beautiful thing to see that even Jesus' brothers are showing full submission to his lordship over their lives. And it's, it's, a, it's a reminder for us as well. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, in that same vein of thought here, I think the other side of it too, and this is, I've only, I've only lived in America. Um, I only know American culture. I visited other countries. Their cultures are a little bit different. Um, but I think one of the things that we lose the weight and the gravity of what's being said at times, and I, this is not my pitch that we need to go back to the original language and we need to read the Bible in the original language, but there are words and there are, 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 are intention, intentional phrases used to communicate the reality of the truth of the gospel and what it calls us to do as, as followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I even picked up on this late, recently as well, and like a lot of the ESV commentary, study Bible stuff, it refers to the faithful. And, and I've even referred to it in different Psalms, highlights or things like that, like the faithful. Um, and I think it's such a unique, and I, as I kind of felt a little weird when I first started, then I realized like, no, like this, this is powerful. Like the whole idea of the faithful, anybody can call themselves a Christian. Um, but it's the faithful that are are called to be obedient, like those who are going to submit to Jesus, period. Um, so all of that to say, I, I think that it goes back all the way to the beginning of this. I think the words servant is has been used to translate uh, intentionally what what the the meaning was, but I think we lose some of it because American culture has has 18 different meanings for a word. I'm being a little overdramatic there, hmm. but they have multiple words or multiple, multiple meanings and weights to the words we use. And this is the old, the famous one, right? I love pizza as much as I love my wife. Like that's not true. Yeah. I love pizza. I love my wife, but there's vastly different degrees of that. Um, so all that to say, I think there's something to be said about understanding of the Lordship of Christ as Christians. It's not about I am saved and I've, I'm living a good life. Therefore I don't, I'm good. No, it's I'm saved and my life is no longer my own. And this is where it's a journey of life. I'm wrestling through this even now. Like, God, I don't, I don't want to surrender everything to you, um, but I know I'm called to and I, I want to. And so mm-hmm. all that to say, uh, verse four, uh, the idea where he's challenging uh, those who have come in by stealth, they are ungodly, turning from the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. He says this, verse five, now I want to remind you, although you've come to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. There's this analogy back to the Old Testament. And the angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling. He has kept an eternal change in, de- in chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. That's talking about future judgment of, of those who have rebelled. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Yet when Michael, this is what Evan you were referring to, when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these blasphemers, or these people blaspheme anything they do not understand, and they do what they understand by instinct, like irrational animals. By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged in Balaam, into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. All of these allusions and all these analogies of the Old Testament. Yeah, remember back, to, I guess, quick recap, because yeah. that numbers was a long time ago. Long, yeah. So Balaam's error was he was the false prophet who got paid to prophesy against Israel. Uh, and fam- the donkey, that's what the donkey spoke. Yep. Famously donkey spoke. He doesn't do it, but then he goes back later and he like leads a bunch of the people of Israel astray and he gets uh, punished for that real yeah. hardcore. And then Korah's rebellion, that's the one where they rebelled against Moses and then the ground literally just opens up and, swallow swallow, and then closes back up again. So terrifying stuff. Yeah. And all of and all of Jude's audience would know these things, so that's why they're yeah. quick hitters. So that's why I think it's good to stop and, and highlight. Cain obviously is the one, the first murderer. He killed his his brother, and God called him out and said, "Where's your brother? Your blood of your brother calls out to me. Am I my brother's keeper? And, what am I, my brother's keeper?" And he was running. And I have, uh, if you've ever watched Superbook as a kid, uh, I have the image of Cain in the cartoon form running away with all the turmoil. Anyways, you need to watch that one day. It's good. It's good stuff. Well, it's a, it's a series because you see all the Old Testament right. stories, most of the Old Testament. Anyways. Mine was the uh, 
Adventures and Odyssey, right? No, well, oh, that was Cassie. Odyssey was great. I love Odyssey. The video though was um, it was like Adventures in the Bible, and it was like three. I don't oh know yeah, what, yeah, yeah. The three teenage archaeologists for some reason, and yeah. they fall in. So that was the whole. That was my childhood. It's a rip off of Superbook. Yeah, Anyways, I believe it. Uh, so the first twelve says this: These people are dangerous reefs at your love feast as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. It's a very strong challenge, just so you know. Verse 13, they are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars from whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation of Adam prophesied, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones. To execute, this is again, that goes back to first judge, first or one Enoch, mm-hmm. uh, apocryphal book, uh, to execute judgment on all, all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way, a lot of ungodliness in there, and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discerning or discontent, discontented grumblers living according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, Remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time, there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the spirit, capital S. But you, dear friends, as you bind yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. I think that's a powerful one. Save others from snatch by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled defiled by the flesh. And that's just a statement of just being mindful of have mercy and try and and and, and save them, so to speak. Obviously, we know that, that Jesus is the one who saves. We know the Holy Spirit's the one that does. But we're called as agents, and so it's like as we're trying to help redeem people's story, we have to be very mindful about any shade of compromise that it might lead in our own lives, yet lest we fall prey to temptation as well. That's what that's what Jude is saying. He says this, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with and with great joy, to the, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. And that's the book of Jude. And I just, I just it's such a quick book um, that I think is so rich and so deep, but also challenging to, for us as Christians to be on guard and to be mindful of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, the next book that we are jumping into is Micah, and he is the final minor prophet that we'll be hitting this year. And so we didn't, we didn't do him in the rest of the... Uh, the minor prophet extravaganza. So we saved Micah because, you know, he's got a little, he's got a little messianic yep. thing. So it'll be good. There you be. All right. So Micah was a prophet of Judah around the same time as Isaiah. Isaiah, again, we'll be getting into next week. Uh, he is from the town of Morasheth, which is about 20 miles southeast of Jerusalem. It's just fun to say. It's a great town. It's a good time. Uh, the first two chapters of Micah are judgments upon Samaria and Jerusalem. So remember, Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, and then Jerusalem obviously being the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, the first picture painted, I, again, like I, I, I love some of the... Uh, some of the imagery used in the prophetic books because it's just so terrifying. If you actually sit and like think about what's being described, it's Yahweh storming out of the temple and bringing his judgment upon the nations. So he says, behold, on Zion, uh, Yahweh emerges from the temple and brings judgment with him. So like, oh my goodness. All right. So, and then in chapter two, it becomes clear uh, just why the Lord is so angry. Uh, this is starting in verse one. It says, woe to those who devise wickedness and the work and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them in the houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am against the family I'm against this family. I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. In that day, they shall they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me to an apostate. He allots our fields. So, it's a thing that so many of the biblical books or so many of the prophetic books specifically tackle. It's just the hypocrisy of the people living in Israel and Judah, where on the one hand, they're like, oh yeah, we worship Yahweh. He's the one true God. This is great. And then on the other hand, they just go and they 
they screw people out of their land. Um, they're doing all these different sinful things. Like they're they're again they're living just like the other nations. So really unfortunate there. Uh, beginning in chapter three, Micah offers a message of hope to the people, which is you know which is nice for a change since we've been in Jeremiah and Ezekiel for so long. It's so true. So uh, and there are hopeful sections there too, but you know it's just nice to get uh, it's nice to get one there. Uh, first in chapter three, Micah condemns the corrupt leadership of Israel. Uh, it was their job to know justice, and they failed miserably. And he makes it clear that it is because of the moral failures of Israel's leaders that Yahweh's judgment is coming. In chapter four, Micah then shifts to the idea that even in the midst of suffering, God promises to restore Jerusalem and its people. In fact, there will come a day when the nations look to Zion for hope. And Zion, remember, is the mountain on which Jerusalem is situated. Uh, In fact, there will be a ruler born in Bethlehem, and uh, he will be there when the hope comes from. He will be where the hope comes from. So, huh. Wonder who that could be. I, I I don't even know. Yeah, he says this. He says in Micah chapter five. Now muster your troops, <laughs> oh, oh muster your troops, oh daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrath, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time. And she who is in labor has given birth, then the, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and the shepherd and his, flo- uh, and his flock and the strength of the Lord in the majesty of his name and the will uh, of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So, and I ended at 5a there because the ver- basically the way the verses were laid out at the beginning, that's the that's the end of the thought there, but the verses kind of messed that up. So, five is split between two paragraphs. Well, so. that just shows a, an issue and an error in the Bible. Yeah. I'm well, just kidding. The, the, I'm just yeah. Kidding. That is one of the things like, uh, I guess it's like, we kind of take this for granted, but yeah, the verses were not put in there um, when the books were written. That happened much later. And so you'll see a lot of times there's errors with chapters and verses because as we get a better understanding of the original Hebrew and Greek, we understand, oh, this is when the sentence actually broke as opposed to before it. So there you go. Fun fact. Uh, but yeah, we get told about, uh, you know, there's going to be a guy who uh, emerges from Bethlehem. And he's, his coming is foretold from the ancient of days, and he shall be uh, the peace of the world to the ends of the earth. So, wow, that'd be cool. Let's go. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, obviously that is uh, that's pointing forward to Jesus, that's pointing yes. forward to the Messiah. Uh, we're going to get a lot of this also in Isaiah next week where we go through some of those messianic prophecies. But it is kind of this – it's a uh, it's a tension that gets wrestled through with the prophets a lot where they're talking about something that will happen in their day. And they're talking about something that will be fulfilled much later. And then for a lot of the prophets, they're talking about things that will be fulfilled that haven't been fulfilled yet. I guess I I think of Ezekiel and Daniel there, where there's a bunch of things where it's like we're still kind of waiting on it. So, uh, And then the way that we can kind of see how this applies is if you read Matthew, like after we read Micah and Isaiah, I would encourage you to read Matthew again one more time. Read it for Christmas. Uh, But uh, that Matthew is the book that connects the most back to the Old Testament because Matthew is – writing for a Jewish audience, it seems to me pretty clear. And he's constantly saying, you know, Jesus will do something and he'll say, and this was to fulfill. And then he'll just quote the Old Testament to show what's going on there. So I love love Matthew for that reason. And this is is also why we would really, I mean, one of the things that we strongly recommend is getting some kind of study Bible. um, Oh yeah, for sure. To allow to, uh, just to provide deeper context, deeper understanding of, of those parallels and those connections, especially as we continue to advance in history and the timeline of history where 2022 is where we're at now. Uh, we just get further removed from the connection and the understanding of of how it all connects back um, and into God's grand redemptive story. Uh, so it's it's definitely a helpful resource for following Christ today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final section of Micah takes a really interesting shift in tone. Uh, so it's an accusation from Yahweh against his people using creation, um, specifically the mountains as witnesses. Oh, snap. So, and this is a motif that comes up a few times in the Old Testament, famously in Job. Uh, I shouldn't say famously because it's not a famous passage at For all. For you, it's but, famous. Yeah, but Job talks about essentially like uh, he calls as his witnesses, he calls creation essentially around him. Uh, this is what God is doing here. He's always saying like, hey, I'm accusing you. Mountains, why don't you take it away? You guys know what, <laughs> you guys know what happened. And I like to imagine the mountains are just, you know. The hills are alive. No, I'm just kidding. Wow, Julie Andrews. Hey, Bring sound it. of music, bro. Oh, I gotta say, <laughs> that movie holds up. 
I haven't. I hadn't watched it for years. Then we watched it like a few it's months a legit ago. Movie, man. Ah, it's great. It's a good time. Anyway, uh, so God makes it clear that He has the right and the desire to punish the wicked for what they've done. However, He will offer mercy. So mm. it's kind of this weird. It's it's kind of a. Um, it's almost like yeah, it's almost a courtroom drama where he's proving his case. He is demonstrating that like no, I have the right to destroy you, but I'm not going to do it. And then Micah ends on these really hopeful words, which I think are beautiful. Uh, Who is God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So really, yeah, really powerful verse there. And it it kind of points forward to what is the great hope of the Messiah? What is the great hope of this ruler who is going to emerge um, from Bethlehem? What is it if not uh, he will tread our iniquities underfoot and cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea? So we're going to see that be fulfilled um, a few centuries after Micah, but I think it's a beautiful passage of being able to look forward to when that happens. Yeah. So finally this week, we are going to wrap it up with uh, a couple of psalms that we're reading. Uh, five, thank you very five much. Five psalms. It's not a couple. Okay. Two couples and a straggler. Two couples and a fifth wheel of psalms. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, it's, it actually works because there's two pairs and one by itself. So oh, that's why that I did it. Don't worry. Um, yeah, so we're covering five psalms. Uh, and again, if you're uh, a newer listener to our podcast and we you haven't covered psalms yet, I just want to help include you into the conversation here. Uh, because there's so many psalms, we don't take a deep dive like we do with all the books. We just try and highlight very quickly what each psalm represents, kind of the context behind it. And if there's time, we we, we read through one psalm or highlight something from it. Uh, we're just trying to do our due diligence in providing context and overview, uh, but also not take 16 hours that like we could in diving into these. So uh, there's five Psalms today, Psalm 73, 74, Psalm 60, Psalm 93, and Psalm 94. No, I, it's not true that I don't know how to count. That's just the chronological order we're reading them in this week. So that's why I go through them this way. Uh, the first Psalm we're going to read this week is Psalm 73. This is referred to as a wisdom Psalm. Uh, it's helping those who sing it uh, to rest content, even when unbelievers seem to get along without a care in the world. Uh, so that the faithful are tempted to join in. And I love that con- connection because I think it's really easy for us to see uh, those who are not following Christ get along, live comfortably, live uh, and and create accolades and get all of these different materialistic things or see success in this present age. And then it creates temptation in us to, well, well their life is great. My life isn't great. So why shouldn't I just do what they're doing? Um, so that's this is a psalm that's a wisdom psalm that challenges us as believers um, to continue to re-anchor our lives daily to the Lord. Um, their help uh, to sustain and to maintain connection comes from taking heart uh, when the different life paths of the faithful and the unbelievers are headed, uh, because each one is going toward either nearness to God or separation from God both which apply to life in eternity and also presently. Uh, and so the, the ultimate goal of, of our lives uh, is, is to be reunited with our Heavenly Father. Uh, that's why Jesus did what he did. That's why he laid his life down. That's why God sent the Holy Spirit or Jesus sent the Holy Spirit after he ascended uh, is to continue the journey to eternity with our Father so we can, so we can be together again uh, and spend eternity doing that. Uh, those who don't follow Christ, who are who are, are living their own lives, that are wicked, they they've rejected truth. Um, they they're going on an opposite path. Uh, they are going one towards eternity, uh, and it's going to impact their life for eternity how they respond to Jesus. And so, uh, Psalm seventy three is a wisdom psalm, helping us stay faithful uh, and see the end uh, and see eternity in, in mind and not just present uh, enjoyment. Psalm seventy four is a psalm uh, that is basically a cry of anguish. Uh, over disaster that has befallen God's people. Uh, in essence, the temple has been laid ruin. Uh, quite possibly, this is by the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem, which we've covered in the previous prophetical books. Um, and so it's, it's in essence a community lament, so you're going to hear the cry of anguish in Psalm 74. Psalm 60 is a community lament uh, at a time when Israel's continued life in the land is under threat from Gentile neighbors. 
um, their ongoing bombardment. Uh, and the title in the title, you'll see sometimes these psalms have little titles and sections like for the the choir, or the Psalm of David for the choir, and the so and so and so. And but this one has specific uh, in it. It's a t- uh, the title that is intending for instruction. I probably should have written down exactly what the title said, but uh, it talks about instruction. Uh, and so it, perhaps this psalm, a community lament in the midst of being th- threatened from Gentile neighbors, um, it's, it, it's intended to instruct them um, how to pray when, when their troops are fighting uh, and defending their, their, their city, I guess, defending their people. So, uh, but that's Psalm 60 is a community lament. Psalm 93 is one of seven hymns of praise uh, for divine kingship. Uh, namely, it's going to celebrate God's kingly rule over creation. Uh, so that that's simply Psalm 73. And then Psalm 74 is a community lament uh, for a time when the wicked not only exalt, exult, uh, but also oppress the faithful, uh, many who, of whom are socially weak. In other words, their class, their socioeconomic status is not high. Um and they're doing the the wicked are are oppressing the faithful without fear of God. Um, the song asks God to take action uh, for the faithful to protect them. At the same time, it strengthens the pious to endure this oppression without losing heart uh, or going over to join the wicked. Uh, again, it's that protection against temptation to follow suit. Uh, it does this by recounting God's exhaustive knowledge of all that people think, say, and do. It does it by remember helping remember God's steadfast love for His own people, uh, and by rejoicing in God's righteous commitment to bring justice to caring for the weak and putting down the wicked. Uh, so that's Psalm 94. Uh, so that's the psalm. Those are the psalms that we're going to read this week uh, and hope they provide a little bit of context for you. There you go. Well, before we sign off today, we did have a question come in. This will, be, this will be kind of a quicker one just because it's basically like, hey, conjecture. So we will we will conject. <laughs> I don't know if that's the correct use of that term. Uh, but it says, how does time work in heaven? We talk about eternity and how when I get to heaven, I want to ask Jesus the following. But let's say one eighth of today's population go to heaven. That's a billion people. If everyone gets to spend five seconds with Jesus at a time, that means you get a slot every 150 years. And that doesn't include daily worship time. Um, oh, snap. I'm well aware that the answer is in heaven, time has no meaning, but that is not <laughs> the point. Okay. So uh, I, lo- I love that in the parentheses. I'm well aware that in heaven, time has has no meaning, but that's not the point. Answer my question. Yeah. So I think like, so, uh, so there's a couple things to say. Number one, uh, heaven is left vague intentionally. Yeah. So there's a few things that we know about it. Specifically but, time in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but there's other things we don't know much of. Right. Sorry. So a, a lot of it is just kind of like, uh, here's, I was about to say hearsay, but that's not the right word. But a lot of it is just kind of like what we think. Yeah. Speculative. And obviously the, the, uh, the human mind views diff- heaven differently in different ages, right? So the way that we in 2022 think of heaven is obviously going to be different from the way that people in 1222 thought of heaven, <laughs> which is going to be very different than the way people in- uh, It's just know, weird to think about 1222. Anyways, yeah. different conversation. Yeah. Imagine those people. They were just like, wow. Imagine the people who lived in 2222. Not, no, wait, that hasn't happened yet. 1111, <laughs> so that's the one I'm thinking of. It's the one where it's all the same number. Anyway, uh, all I'd say, I think we've, we've said this like a bunch, so but I'll, I'll just recommend it again. There is a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. So it's really, it's really good. Um, it, about half the book is here is everything that the, that bi- the Bible says about heaven. And then the other half of it is like, here's just a bunch of conjecture, but he's very clear when he's doing that. So um, and I appreciate that too, because the worst yeah. is when you have someone who's just like, yeah, here's what the Bible says. And you realize this isn't anywhere in scripture. This is what you think. So he's very clear on here's straight up scripture. Yep. And then here's how I interpret it. And then here's also like some principles from scripture that I'm applying to. Maybe this is the way it works in heaven. Maybe it doesn't. Um, as far as the way time works, again, I would, so yeah, this is all conjecture, right? I would imagine um, that time works differently. In, in heaven in that sort of sense. Um, the idea of being able to spend time with Christ, I don't think it's going to be one of those things where he's just completely unavailable mm-hmm. and there's like lines around, you know, <laughs> around the world yeah. or things like that. I think there's uh, – God makes a way uh, for that, whether it's, you know, Christ being omnipresent uh, and there's kind of like some question as to whether – like how exactly Christ works um, – because we believe that he still has like his physical body, like the body of of, of Jesus is what we will see in heaven. Um, but maybe on the other side of Revelation, that changes a little bit. I don't know. Maybe that's complete heresy. I don't know there either. So um, <laughs> as far as as far as that goes, it's just kind of like the the unfortunate answer is for the most part, who knows? Um, but I, I imagine that <laughs> that's not the point, Evan. Yeah, I imagine that God will make a way. I also think that eternity is just one of those things that we like we cannot comprehend. Um, Eternity is one of those things that I remember as a kid freaking me out and not, not like the idea of eternity in heaven, just the idea of eternity. Cause we can't, we can't think about everything that we know in the world 
including the world <laughs> as like a beginning and has a theoretical end, right? Yeah. Like we can, like if we're um, following just like straight up, like what we're seeing in the universe, the sun will die eventually and the world will uh, be consumed by the explosion of the sun. Like the, the, the planet <laughs> that we are on has an end date of uh, at least if, if everything is going the way it's going right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so imagining something that never ends is an insane thing to imagine. I remember as a kid, I would do it and then I'd cry and I'd get really upset because it like freaked me out. It was you weird. legit would think about eternity like that? Yeah, yeah. Like wow. it, it freaked me. Like I never the, did. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, because I could get, I could get around the idea, like, because you, you like Amazing Grace, they say, like, when we've been there 10,000 years, I can get through the idea of, like, yeah, 10,000 years. That's a really long time. But eternity, it's just trying to actually picture what it's like for something to not end. And, like, no matter how much time you've spent, you are no closer to the end because there is no end. I don't know, it just, it just, even today, it's like, it just freaks me out in, in the sense <laughs> of like, uh, um, yeah, not, not, and I should, I should be clarified, not freaks me out in the sense of like scared. It just oh, freaks but me it's, out. It's like, you can't comprehend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something that like, and maybe that just shows a, a weakness of character of mine that if I can't comprehend something, it scares me. <laughs> no, I don't, I actually think that there's probably a little bit more reverency to that, but that's a, this is an accounting session. So. <laughs> thanks, thanks, dad. Um, but yeah, so there Come you here, go. Son. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but that, those are kind of my thoughts, Aaron. I don't know if you have anything to add there. No, I, I think, I, I get the and, and I'm I, I'm not trying to make fun of the question. I think it's actually a really fun question to process and consider. So I'm not I'm not trying when I say that's not the point. I'm not trying to be backhanded like sarcastic about it. It's just funny uh, to say it. Um, but I do think we we've got to also understand that that a time is a different concept in eternity, um, and and we we will not understand or wrap our head around time until we're in eternity. And so on one hand, we can have these conversations about these are the things I want to ask Jesus, but I also think we're, we're missing the fact that we'll be, it, the scripture is very clear that we will be unveiled in our understanding mm -hmm. uh, when we are in eternity. And so there's going to be certain levels of things I think we're just going to understand. I think we can see glimpses of that in, in our life presently, where as we get older, as we mature, as we um, come to a, a better, well-rounded understanding about certain things. It just makes sense. And it's not because someone taught us or we asked anybody. It just kind of clicked. It's like, oh, that makes sense. Um, so I do think there's a level of uh, of understanding we're going to have when we stand before Christ in eternity. Um, I think we also have to remember that God is omnipresent. And you already referenced that. I think that's a big deal mm -hmm. uh, because it's it, it means that God is fully present Uh in all moments at all time. And and so I think there's gonna be a level of understanding we're gonna have where there's access and understanding and we're just gonna live in, in, in an eternal awe uh, and our lives are gonna be different in that capacity too. So uh, I think it's a great question, but I, I think it's, I don't think you have to worry about how many people, I think we should have worry about how many people get into heaven because that's our mandate. <laughs> um, but I don't think you have to worry about how much face time are you gonna have with Jesus because we're gonna have a whole different comprehension and understanding of the fullness of who God is. And once we arrive in eternity. Well, it's funny when you were talking, I just thought of um, like in Revelation, there's a lot of things that are really vague and hard to interpret. One of the things that's not vague is that we will be just absolutely surrounded by the glory of God yes. at all times in, yeah. in, in, at, uh, in uh, the new heavens, and the new earth. And so I don't think um, like the, the specific person of Christ, I think is a little bit interesting as far as like theologically where you land, as far as like how all of that would work. But I don't think we're going to be wanting for yeah. the presence of God. <laughs> like that's going to be... Everywhere, like we will be completely bathed in it yeah. at all times. Well, there, there was a moment where, I mean, it was uh, not to belabor the point, but there was a moment where uh, I, we see, it, I think it's Revelation, that like God sees the end from the beginning, or he is the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Um, and someone said to me years ago this idea that, that he's, he, sees the, he sees the eternal everything from the beginning to the end. And so for me, because I like movies, I, I kind of see it like he sees it playing out from the very beginning and he can look at the screenplay and he can look at all of it. Uh, taking photography, you see a thing of film, videos back in the day, movies were created on film. Uh, and so you could look at the eternal picture, the whole pi history of picture from eternity and at any point be present at any moment in history. So there's part of me that that I, this is totally speculative. This is totally like this is me, which I think is kind of a fun thing to think about. Uh, I could totally see how when you go to a museum, you see the history of such and such. 
and you can see the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end of whatever the the Battle of the Alamo or whatever you want to call it. Like, like I was the, just like that you're going Alamo. I was just in Yuma, so like they had a prison there that was. So I watched. I looked at the timeline of the history of the mm-hmm. of the prison and things like that. The, the Yuma High School apparently burned down, and so they had wow. four years of in the prison after it was uh, after they moved the prisoners in 19 whatever. And it was it was just a crazy. But you I, could see, but you could see the full history and the full story play out. So there's part of me that I like. I, it'd be kind of fun to be able when I get to eternity, I can look at human history and see all throughout human history, the divine moments and God's plan. It's like, oh my goodness, I see it from a different perspective and I understand it from a, a higher a higher level. So mm-hmm. um, I, feel, I feel like I'm rushing now because I'm trying to wrap up so we can move on. But all that to say, I think there is something to be said about when we get into eternity, we're going to see in full the things that we've not been able to see because we've, only been, we've been limited by time and the finiteness of humanity right now. So um, it's a really it's a really poignant question, but I don't think we have to worry about our, our proximity or our presence or our opportunity to understand and learn and worship God through the the, the knowledge and the development there. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely a fun question to conjecture, yeah. conject about. Well, as and just so you know, oh. Kathy Ramsey, you better call Evan out on that word. We're going to conject now because I don't think that's legit. Probably just not. saying. Probably not. Uh, well, on that note, listeners, that does wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church, under the media tab. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you'd like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There is a give button in the upper right-hand corner. But hey, thank you all so much for listening. And Merry Christmas.